we rehearse today is Shy, which is one of the big numbers that Sutton Foster will do as Winifred. It's one of the more popular songs in the show, and it's a huge comedic tour de force. This particular orchestra is 26 members, which is a large orchestra in today's world, and so that makes it really, really fun. They sound great, and we get the top musicians from the city to come do this project with us, so we're very lucky. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 21st, 2024. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Welcome back from your trip. We missed you last week. Aren't you nice? I appreciate. <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Michael, you only have a few days left before it's Jerry Orbach's Broadway at 54 Below. How's it going? Really well, really well, and we're um, we're almost full. Um, we're going to include the links to the ticketing uh, pages in the show notes uh, for anyone who can still make it or who might want to attend uh, in their homes through the live stream. Uh, so check that out, and and there might even be uh, for the for the actual show at fifty four below. There might be uh, some very low price tickets available because. 54 Below has been doing that since they became a nonprofit organization. Um, they have been making very low price tickets available for select shows um, in the in the final stretch, during the final stretch before the performance. So check that out. Michael, for the home performance, is there a two-drink minimum? <laughs> no, but you can make one if you want. Okay. <laughs> That's Excellent. up to you. <laughs> I love what they say. I love what they say at uh, the green room 42. Uh, the pre-show announcement says um, here at the green room 42, there is no minimum, but there is also no maximum. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So uh, given that it's going to be live stream, will this be eligible for an Emmy award? Oh boy, that would be nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh get in on the ground floor. Get over to Jerry Orbach's Broadway at 54 Below. It's this Thursday, January 25th at 7 p.m. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes, whether you can be there in person or pick up the live stream. So check it out from there. We rehearsed with Anita Gillette, uh, our our guest star last week, and uh, she, she did Guys and Dolls with Jerry Orbach in 1965 at City mm -hmm. Center. And it was just kind of, a, oh, and um, she asked, uh, she wanted to do If I Were a Bell. Uh, and she asked for someone to stand in for Jerry. So we decided, why not his elder son, Tony Orbach? Mm -hmm. um, so he came to the rehearsal and uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was really quite a moment. I I was almost tearing up at one point to see that happening, um, you know, nearly 60 years later. So, Peter, last week, Michael talked about his review of the Broadway production of Prayer for the French Republic uh, over at the Freedman. Uh, what is your take on this? Oh, I think it's terrific. Um, magnificent, in fact. Um, no other word will do. It's, it's so impressive to me that um, this has landed on Broadway and indeed has extended. I'm very glad to see that too, because I think everybody should see this play. Um, what we're dealing with here, imagine, imagine being in this situation that you're a visitor in someone's home. There you are. You're a distant relative. And it's so funny the way it starts because there's Betsy Adam, a tremendous actress in a tremendous performance, telling uh, her distant, distant, distant relative why they're related. And we've all had situations like that where people are telling us, yeah, so your mother married and then your father and, and then his second cousin and she was all that stuff. Um, so it starts off very, very funny. However, it doesn't stay funny for long because what happens is that uh, the woman's son comes in and he has been tremendously 
hurt by people who are not interested in being nice to Jews. He wears a yarmulke, and indeed, uh, she wishes that he would wear a baseball cap. She has no issue with his wearing a yarmulke, but put it under the baseball cap. Yeah, but the point of being a Jew and expressing that, which you have every right to do, is wearing the yarmulke. This should not be a problem. You should not have to hide who you are. What a great metaphor. You know, yarmulke, baseball cap, about hiding who you are. It's such a little thing, but it's such mm-hmm. a salient detail. That's that's so great. So immediately I'm on the side of this play, but more to the point, Imagine being a visitor in a home where suddenly a a father and a mother are yelling at their grown son and there's a sister who has an opinion too. And all this is going on when you've just arrived. What a thing to have happen because usually when you visit people, they're on their best behavior Mm -hmm. and they would be on their best behavior under normal circumstances, but these are not normal circumstances. So this play takes off like a rocket and um, to to say a rocket is really um, being unfair to it because it's even more strong than that. So, um, so it's tremendously impressive. And as much as I liked it at Manhattan Theater Club, um, I even liked it more now because I, I do believe when a play is great, and I'm not going to use any other word but great, uh, when a play is great, you even see more of it when you uh, see it a second time. So as much as I liked it the first time, as much as I did, um, I certainly uh, liked it even more this time. Uh, I hope Betsy Adam gets a Tony. I hope Frances Benhamu gets a Tony. Now, she plays the sister. Um, her name is Frances um, with an I. Usually that's a masculine um, way of spelling Frances. Traditionally, it had been with an I and for women with an E. But um, she uses I-S. And um, what a Broadway debut. Good Lord. Um, and uh, she has a scene. Uh, late in the play where she's in a restaurant talking to this young woman who has visited, um, giving her opinions. And I'm telling you, it's very hard for that woman to get a word in edgewise, uh, the, the visitor, very hard for her to get a word in edgewise and don't think she doesn't try. But it's a galvanizing scene. Uh, and also galvanizing is the last scene of the play where indeed the question is raised, why do they hate us? What is the reason for it? And many reasons are given, many reasons that don't hold water as reasons, but these are the reasons why. And um, there is no question that um, what we have here is extraordinary. But more to the point, Joshua Harmon is really turning out to be one of our most valuable playwrights, um, without question. Um, his previous Broadway show, Significant Other, didn't do as well. And it wasn't as powerful as this one is. And it's very hard for any play to be as powerful as this one is. But uh, Bad Jews, a terrific play. Terrific play. Um, and, of course, uh, needless to say, I think you can tell just from the title that, um, indeed, uh, we are talking about a similar situation. Um, but um, I, I really look forward to what he's going to do next because, of course, um, he uh, did so well with this one. So I would, in, in the good old days when shows used to open and try to have extended runs, um, needless to say, that does happen, but not as much as it used to. Uh, limited runs seem to be a very, very um, blatant thing that's happening on Broadway and has been happening for the last 20 years or so. Uh, it's, uh, I would love to see this one just run and run and run. And I would like to think that there's an audience who would want to see it. Um, so hard hitting as it is, it's also extraordinarily entertaining with plenty of humor, um, which seems impossible when we're talking about this subject matter, but plenty of humor as well, but definitely see it for Betsy and Francis. Those, those two performances will last with me, uh, now and forever. Okay. So, uh, prayer for the French Republic is playing at the Freedman through March 3rd. Uh, as Peter mentioned, it, it did have an extension. I, we think that that's the final extension because Amy Herzog's Mary Jane is up next yeah, at the, at the Friedman. Uh, and that, yeah. uh, is scheduled, uh, first performance April 23rd. So they need some time to swap over the theater. Uh, although Matt Temanini talked about on today on Broadway, uh, you know, do we, do we think that, uh, prayer for the French Republic 
closing before all the nominators get in and things like that might harm it during the uh, during the uh, Tony season. I dare say that um, when word of mouth on on something is good, I think Tony nominators, this may be naive of me, I think Tony nominators um, rise to the occasion and and they get there. You know, I I do think there is that element of, hey, um, listen, you really got to see blah, 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 you know, so um, so I I think that um, both nominators and voters will um, certainly uh, rise to the occasion and and see this play and they'll be the, (laughs) the richer for it. So um, yeah, I have the, I have the same feeling. Peter, you weren't with us last week. I uh, I'm still uh, you know even after the fact, I'm still uh, puzzling over the fact that I liked it so much more this time than Off Broadway when I literally had to fight to stay awake. Wow. Uh, I never I I just because of scheduling I I, I never um, reviewed the Off Broadway one uh, for for this podcast. And I remember, you know, I certainly remember how much you liked it then. And I had, I reviewed it then we, we would have really been at odds. Cause I just, I think I did actually fall asleep. Um, but I don't know what, I'm not sure exactly what the difference was. Um, there were some new performances, new performers. And I yes, think there were, and, the, and I think that one of them um, to me was significantly improved and that may have made a difference, but um it's it's interesting i i don't i i would stop short of calling it a great play because i do think it's flawed i mentioned that um i'm not sure if you probably won't agree with this but there uh the play takes place in two different time frames uh basically uh 2016 2016 2017 yes right and then um the 40s, uh, like right towards the end of the war and right after the war. And it seemed to me, although um, although those scenes in the 40s were wonderful in terms of historical context, I, I wasn't sure what if what they actually added to the to the uh, whole experience. Um, so I thought that maybe that they might have been cut or. Um, maybe one flashback I felt or something like that. I mean, of course you would never have anyone in just one scene, all those different characters, but that's what I thought. And I also noticed a structural flaw. I don't know if you noticed this. Um, Anthony Edwards um, in one of the roles also functions several times as a, a narrator, I guess narrator, you would call him. Yeah. 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 He starts to play. Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, he does that a few times and he is the only one who does that except for one moment when uh, the character played by Nancy Robinette does it. And I thought, well, I'm thinking though, that's considered to be good playwriting where you have one person during the narrate, doing the narration throughout. And then suddenly you have one person do it for one moment. Um, so I think that, uh, Joshua Harmon maybe just found himself in a box uh, <laughs> at that moment and felt that he had to have that character address the audience. But I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's the most neat playwriting uh, that I've ever seen. Um, but there was so much of it that was very good, and um, that scene, that scene you mentioned. Um, uh, with Francis Benamou, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that's late in the play. I thought it was rel- relatively early, but um, but either way, uh, that that that's a really great scene. And yes, I, I think the the conversation at the end, why do they hate us, was absolutely the highlight of the whole thing. That was that was a really amazing moment, and and I think that all of the reasons that people give. Um, I think it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, so I, I thought that was an extraordinary moment. And uh, well, um, <laughs> the other thing too, I have to admit, um, this has been on my mind a great deal. This subject because um, oh yeah, I've done a new a version of the Merchant of Venice, right. uh, which I call the Moneylender and Merchant of Venice, and um, it's far less anti-Semitic. Um, that's my point uh that um i just hate the fact that 
um, Shylock has to become a Christian, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that it's really the deck is stacked against him terribly. Um, and I know the two wrongs don't make a right, that, uh, but nevertheless, uh, these subjects have been on my mind a great deal. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a reading in Florida a few weeks ago, um, and um, I've certainly been working on it since. And um, so as a result, I have to say that this is a play that really speaks to me at this moment in time as well. In terms of narration, you know, um, I was talking to somebody the other day about a funny thing happened in the way the forum. It seems odd to bring this up uh, in conjunction with this play. <laughs> but uh, think about it, 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 At the end of the first act, Pseudolus looks out at us and says, intermission. Um, you know, and one can look at that as um, a, a flaw in the sense that um, why is he talking to us? But you have to remember that um, Pseudolus is also known as Prologus. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, he establishes at the beginning that um, this is a theatrical event, um, that Plago is, uh, we are here to serve you, et cetera, et cetera. So the point is, if indeed, I'm, I'm not sure I'm right about this, but if indeed a person starts off narrating, does that not give everybody license to narrate at any given time? I just wonder. Um, uh, uh, the fact that it only happened once does make it sound clunky. I'll grant you that. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, you know, like when lawyers talk about entering something into evidence. Well, if indeed um, we have a situation where the guy at the beginning starts narrating, why can't – and he's a character in the play. shows up later as a character. Um, why shouldn't everybody well, and and to your point, uh, what you didn't mention is then, if I recall correctly, having directed the show years ago, at the start of Act Two, Hysterium is the one who speaks to the audience, right? I don't remember that. I'm not saying no. I don't. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he tells the audience to re- remember where everyone was, and then he says uh, Philia was was in the house, and the, and this person was there. I remember. That, yeah. I, I remember the scene. I don't remember Hysterium doing it. I um, believe And so, again, yeah. and I'm not saying you're wrong. Believe me, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's not. Uh, I, or actually, I, no. I you know I think it was an Hysterium. I think it's um, Lycus. Or, uh-huh. or, or what's the, what's the, no, erroneous, <laughs> erroneous. <laughs> Is it erroneous, really? Um, well, that gives maybe. them something to do. Oh, gosh, them, I'm uh, sorry, I can't remember. Uh, all right, uh, yeah. but this this is something where we're, um, I'll be going to my bookshelf as soon as we're done. Thank so, you. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> erroneous so, would never make an error like that. That's right, not <laughs> erroneous, right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, that is Prayer for the French Republic, as uh, we talked about before. Um, uh, get to see it. It, it. I haven't heard nary a bad word about it. it just everybody raves about it. So mm-hmm. I wonder if it's going to be heavy in the rotation in Lord Theaters next year. I think so. the, already the Huntington did it. I think it was done in the Huntington in the fall. Oh, really? mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was going up to Boston for a class reunion and, um, I think was playing there. Great. Mm. All right. So, uh, next up, uh, Peter, you were over in Chelsea at 435 West 22nd, known as Torn Page. And we'll talk about that in a second to see a play called The Whole of Time, W-H-O-L-E of Time. So tell us about this. Well, um, I imagine that most people have not seen a show at 435 West 22nd Street because it's not a theater. Uh, it's an apartment building, and uh, up a very steep and narrow stairway, you will find a <laughs> big room in which 22 folding chairs have been assembled, and you will watch a play unfold before you, um, even if you're in the final row, which is the second row. I don't think you're any more than six feet away from the action. Um, And um, this play by Romina Paula, uh, she tells us that it was very, very influenced by the Glass Menagerie. And I will say it takes a while for that to kick in. Now, when I say a while, it seems um, strange to mention a while, considering the play is 65 minutes long. But it does take a while before you say, ah, ah, ah." well, of course, you know, it it may just be me that I wasn't picking up on any clues. But I did know going in that the last minute actually was an influence and I was looking for it desperately for like the first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, So what do we have here? Um, The way I'm going to make it sound makes it sound like I should know from the beginning it was the glass menagerie, but 
Anyway, um, here we are, and uh, we have Lorenzo, um, who uh, has a sister, um, Antonia, and um, also we have a mother named Ursula, and if not a gentleman caller, a visitor uh, named Maximiliano. Now, um, this is an Argentine playwright, so it was originally written uh, in her native language, and it has been translated by Jean Graham Jones. So I don't know if something got lost in the translation, to be fair. But anyway, what is it? Um, we we have some hints that um, Lorenzo is going to be leaving. Um, he's not going to stick around, and he hasn't told his sister that he's going to be leaving. So, all right, you know, Tom and the Glass Menagerie leaves at the end. Uh, is there a gentleman caller? Uh, that's Maximiliano, and um, he does show up halfway through the show, but he's not there for the Laura character, um, again, Antonia. Um, he's really a friend, a co-worker of Lorenzo. So um, they're, they're supposed to go out and have a good time. Now, this is a very strange thing, that uh, uh, Lorenzo is reading Moby Dick. Uh, a good way to spend your time, don't misunderstand me, um, a very good way to spend your time. Um, and they're supposed to go out and have a good time together. And Lorenzo says, um, just wait until I finish the last 20 pages. Well, that seems to mean an inordinate length of time to keep somebody waiting when somebody has shown up at your house. Um, it's a great tribute to Moby Dick that the guy can't pull himself away from the book. <laughs> but anyway, um, he does leave the room uh, so that he can concentrate on it. And that leaves um, <laughs> the sister and the visitor together. And what we find out is kind of interesting that the sister never goes out. And I mean, never. I mean, never. I don't mean infrequently. I mean, she establishes that she stays in the house all day. Now, unlike Laura, she does not have a disability. Um, it is not a case of that. She just feels like staying inside. Now, <laughs> I have to say that she makes a very good case for staying inside. And I'm not going to be snarky and say, because if you stay inside, you don't get to see the whole of time. I don't mean that. What I mean is that she quizzes him about his life. And the point is that he goes out and he's, he's a bartender and uh, he doesn't really, 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 really like it. And she points out the fact that, um, you know, here you are, you're spending your time doing something you don't like. Like, and what do you do afterwards? You go home and you stay inside. Well, I'm doing that all the time. And isn't that great? Of course, he brings up a wonderful rebuttal, which occurs to everybody before this, the subject is brought up. Well, how do you make a living? And that's where there's a bit of a problem because she says, well, my mother works, my brother works, and I'm fine, you know, and they don't seem to mind. Well, you know, that only goes so far. <laughs> I think that um, I, I do believe that people will carry you for some length of time but i do think that eventually um you're nearly 32 you should get out of the house as the fred Blair <laughs> goes so um so that's a bit of a problem too um i've often felt that amanda in the glass menagerie uh views the gentleman caller as her 18th gentleman caller meaning she does uh, many times in the play refer to that wonderful time in her youth that wonderful day when 17 men came to court her and uh, she picked the wrong guy. And we also get the impression in Glass Pedestrian, she picked the wrong guy because she wanted to pick the wrong guy that she thought would be the right guy. And she could say to everybody, see, I made the right decision. You thought I was making the wrong decision, but I made the right decision. Um, that's my own interpretation. I, I won't say that this is exactly what Tennessee Williams meant. But anyway, that's what I've always taken from the play um, since I was 17 years old and first saw it. So... Um, so I've always felt that she, um, of course, she wants her for the daughter. Um, I'm talking about Amanda and Lauren now. Um, of course, she wants her for the daughter. But nevertheless, um, here's a new man in her house, and um, she, he is a gentleman caller. And so um, she puts on a bit of um, a bit of um, flirtation with him in the glass menagerie. Well, she does substantially more here. She really comes down to brass tacks here and, um, and, and makes it very clear that she'd be interested in this guy. She doesn't go overboard. I won't say that, no, but um, indeed, um, she does um, make it more clear than Amanda does that uh, she's interested in this guy. 
So uh, a funky evening, uh, certainly very different uh, from the vantage point of uh, sitting in a folding chair. Um, close. Not that this hasn't been done before. I've seen plays like this before. Even The Boys in the Band was done um, like this by Jack Cummings um, and his company um, a while back. And um, The Uncle Vanya recently was uh, rather similar. So um, it, this isn't a unique situation, but it's an atypical one. It doesn't happen often. Uh, so uh, I, I, I got into it um, after they got into it, after they made it more like the Glass Menagerie, um, which is, again, what they promised from the outset. That's when I got interested, and it did hold my attention in a way that I didn't think it was going to from those first 10 or 15 minutes when it seemed to be meandering. So um, very nicely directed by Tony uh, Torn, and um, I have to say, too, that um, the four people were marvelous. Marvelous. Uh, Josephine Ascaro as Antonio, Lucas Salvagno as Lorenzo, Ben Becker as Maximiliano, and Anna B. Gabriel as Ursula, the mother. So um, it's going to be running um, till the 27th. So there's still a little time if you're in the mood for something like this, um, this very atypical thing. And, um, and they do serve drinks. I don't mean free uh there's there's um a concession stand so uh you, you might want to fortify yourself before or after so um but uh a, a decent time was had by all so peter uh breaking news here they've extended to february 11th have they oh i didn't they know extended that. to february 11th uh on their website uh, i learned a bullybez of information here there uh-huh. are t- 22 seats in the theater Right. So, uh, you can only get, you can only get, uh, one of 22 seats. (laughs) You have to get in there as as soon as possible to get that. And Tony Torn is the director and this space is called Torn Page. Do you know about Mm -hmm. Torn Page? (laughs) Michael seems to know what this is. This is the historic home of Rip Torn and Geraldine Page. Oh. Uh, and oh. Torn Page. And, I see. Uh, Tony Torn, who directed, is uh, their, their son. They had twin sons uh, and also a daughter. So Tony Torn is the director, and he's got a brother, John Torn. Um, and, uh, and I believe so- the sister's name is now Page Torn. Is that right? <laughs> P-A-I-G-E Torn. You know, I didn't read the um, the playbill, but it is here. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, named in honor of his parents, the award-winning actors Rip Torn and Geraldine Page. Yeah, I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got there just in time, and um, I met a friend there. Uh, I, did, well, I wasn't planning to meet him there, but I was glad to see him. And you know, we talked all the way home, so uh, mm. so I didn't look at the um, at the playbill. Uh, but uh, that's nice to know. And yeah. of course, I, w- I was wrong again. Angelica Page is an American actress, director, producer, and screenwriter. She is the only daughter of actress Rip Torn and Geraldine Page. Credited as as Angelica Torn in her early career, she legally and professionally changed her name to Angelica Page in September 2011. But I've heard Page Torn before. I'm not sure where I've heard that. Uh I don't think it was as the title of that. Theater. So uh, they, it says in Wikipedia that that uh, Rip Torn loved that his buzzer on the on the door says Torn Page. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and then uh, last week we talked about uh, Patrick Page and uh, his show, but you know, Patrick Page is married to his wife is named Page. Uh, oh right, uh, Page Page <laughs> Page Page. But she uses her uh she uses her maiden name still. She doesn't she doesn't really go by Page Page, but every now and right. then they, they joke about getting uh getting uh yes. getting mail through uh, that says directed to Page Page, which spells a P A I G. So That is correct. Turn the page. Turn Mindy Page Davis says Rob Johnson and he is one hundred percent correct. <laughs> so uh what was the uh Rob what's the what's the television show she did it's not house hunters it's some sort of trading spaces trading spaces was her television series for me correct yeah yeah so and they couldn't be nicer people 
Couldn't be. All right. So uh, Peter and Michael got over to Theater Row to the aptly named Theater 4 uh, to see The Perfect Game. So tell us about this. Uh, is it a play or is it a musical? What is it? It's a musical, uh, indeed. Um, it it uh, has book, music, and lyrics by John Grissomer, and um, it's about the creation of basketball. And it isn't. Um, I wish that um, he had concentrated on um, the actual creation of basketball, but he's put a very strange uh, framing device on it, very strange indeed. Uh, we start with two commentators, um, which who are basically shown as uh, silly people. Um, it's a parody of um, how sports uh, commentators can go over the top. <laughs> uh, and suddenly, um, James Naismith uh, shows up. And he corrects them about their facts and figures because he knows the basketball was invented on December 21st, 1891, because he invented it on December 21st, 1891. Um, how did he get there? And that brings on a very bizarre opening number uh, <laughs> about electrons and um, the way, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's very scientific stuff. And they explain why he comes back in time. Frankly, I would have appreciated not having a framing device. I would have liked to have seen a, a linear show where indeed um, we see him struggling to find out um, how we can find a game that can be played indoors um, during inclement weather, which is um, pretty much what happened way back when um, Mr. Naismith did uh, invent this game. There are some fascinating details. I didn't know that originally um, when people were shooting at the basket, the basket was literally a basket with a bottom in it, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating. I didn't know that. And uh, so there was a guy on each side um, who would take the ball out of the basket and throw it onto the court and um, and they'd resume play. You know, frankly, that seems rather appealing to me. I'd like to see a game like that. I'm not saying that basketball would have succeeded if indeed that's the way it was played. Um, um, we, I don't think we ever hear ever that um, somebody thought of um, taking the bottom off the basket. And um, that at that point, you would think that that would be a big moment, you know, or even a song, but it isn't. Um, so, uh, but uh, anyway, that was intriguing to me. Um, and I, I, yeah, and when that happened, it, 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 um, I mean, they made it a big moment without making it a song. They they sort of like made it a, a an aha moment. But I, But I thought, you know, Looking back at it, it's like, well, why didn't they think of that? <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, but if you try to go to their mindset, you know, it's well, it was a basket and it had a bottom, and yeah. it, and they didn't immediately think to just take the bottom out. Right. He says, I, he says, I have to think of some way to get the ball back onto the court quicker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that may very well be true, um, but. Um, I also recall there was a Walt Disney thing once about um, the creation of basketball. It was, it was an animated feature. And um, indeed, it started when Naismith was trying to figure out uh, a game, and he kept on throwing. He crumpled up papers like Thomas Jefferson does in 1776 and threw them in the basket and threw them mm. in the basket. And I, I'm not saying that's accurate, but um, I thought that's what happened because of the uh, Disney thing. But anyway... So um, speaking of the type of thing like throwing something away, there's uh, a romantic thing going on here, too, because um, Mr. Naismith um, meets um, Maud Sherman, who has a great number of opinions about basketball. She seems to be very interested in what he's um, created. She also seems very interested in him. And I'm telling you, you know, lyricists, the best lyricists always know to save your best joke for the last part of the song and this was not done here because at one point that uh, in the middle of the song when they're uh, she's interested in him make no mistake about it and at one point in the song um they talk about the court meaning the basketball court and she says 
recording, you know, something like a recording. And boy, that should have happened at the end. That would have been a great ending for that because um, we've been sensing all along that's what's going on. But to throw that away in the middle of the song, I think was a bad decision. Anyway, this electron, neutron, whatever scientific stuff turns out to be very important in the second act because somehow, and please, you know, you're talking to somebody who out of 525 students at Northeastern University um, finished 524 in physical science um, above a kid from the Philippine Islands who's, for whom English was the second language. So I'm not good at science, but I'm telling you, uh, one of the big things that happens in the show is that somehow science can slow down the game and um, the team is able to win the team we want to win. Not that we particularly bonded with them, but the team we're told was supposed to uh, like um, suddenly uh, wins because action has been slowed down and they have more than 12 seconds to win the game. Um, so you see, if we're talking about the history of basketball, I think we should be more literal. And I wish that the, it's funny that in his notes, um, today we speak, I'm reading, today we speak names Shaq, LeBron, Magic, Kobe, and Jordan, as if we know them personally. Um, and, you know, really, wouldn't it be something if this guy came back to life, all right, fine. Um, he doesn't literally have to come back to life, but if he saw what this game that he started has become yeah I, it's amazing especially on the college level um the ncaa tournament with the bracket with those 65 teams and in offices you know people um bet and uh, people pay some so, such attention that uh, this guy could have never dreamed that this game would have been so popular and i would have liked to have seen a straight history as opposed to this strange fanciful thing about slowing down time and winning the game and um that really made no sense to me whatsoever i will say that he tried to get out um a very nice 11 o'clock number called steal the ball uh which i did hear people singing on the way out of the theater um i'm not sure if they were singing it derisively to be perfectly frank but they were singing it um and uh so that's of more than moderate interest too but um all in all um not such a, a a terrific experience now what i will say what sent me to my playbill to see a person's name um once maud sherman came on uh i could tell if this was a, a, an actress of quality and I wanted to see um, who she was and um, learn more about her. So I did learn that her name is Elena Ricardo, was most recently seen performing across the country as the title role in Beautiful the Carol King musical. So obviously, this woman has a great deal of talent, and um, and certainly people believed in her to make her Carol King in, an, in a national tour of this show. So as a result... Um, I'm I'm pretty impressed, and I think that uh, I I also have to say, um, even though I wasn't crazy about his material, I did think Anthony Segaria playing Jim Naismith had a lot of appeal. Um, so um, otherwise, everybody was very hardworking and um, did what they were expected to do. My final comment: This is a song about sexual harassment. All right. Um, uh, again, that brings the show into the present, but the. Um, name of the organization that's fighting sexual harassment is sexual harassment <laughs> i forget what the i is it's something like international but the, the last inter, word is tri- inter, interdiction thank you tribunal um and of course they make a point of the fact that the um acronym is s-h-i-t um i yeah i don't think any organization who's fighting sexual harassment would um purposely choose those <laughs> michael your turn <laughs> <laughs> well no to that point yeah that was that i think was kind of a low point in the book um the person who with whom i attended said uh, noticed that uh, in his opinion that the the first red flag was that the book music and lyrics were all written by John Grismer and and my friend said nobody's that talented. <laughs> mm, uh, very, and if if we look back few. at history, yeah, very few, right. very yeah. few, very few. Frank Lesser once yeah. or twice. Yeah. Um, uh, very few other. Yeah, uh, and then uh, someone else, uh, um, a friend of mine in the audience, who's a musical director. Uh, afterwards just gave a quick capsule review and he said he said you know he said i think the book was actually really pretty good um he said and 
some of the lyrics were okay. Um, he said there were a couple of good ballads, he said, but the music, um, he just really didn't like. And I, I would say that I generally agree with that. That Electron's number was, um, it struck me as like something that might you might see in Gutenberg the musical. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for that. And, and as an opening number, so bizarre. Michael, yeah. by any chance, um, you were sitting two rows behind me, and I don't know if you noticed, but whenever there's a false accent, um, uh, did, did you, <laughs> you see me flinch? <laughs> did you see that? I do that a lot. I mean, did you notice that? Seriously, um, I didn't. I don't think I okay. noticed it, but only because I was doing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one point we hear crazy and yeah. God, whoa. Um, you know, my, my whole body, um, just as if I was shocked by a cattle prod. So, um, and there are a lot of false accents. Um, the rhymes aren't bad, but there are a lot of false accents. Um, so, um, and, and that <laughs> Linda, uh, always, uh, pats my hand soothingly after I do that. You know, <laughs> to say, you'll be all right. It's That's okay. right. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get through this, you know. So, um, and thanks and- for remembering that word because I couldn't remember it. And it really is, it's, if I recall, it's something like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, with so the no tell just to yeah, make it yeah, even worse. Yeah. 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 Um, so um, th- that's been a problem, and um, you you uh, no, nah, nah, I'm I'm, I'm going to quit while I'm behind on this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael, what were you saying? No, I don't. I don't have much else to say either. I think. Uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Um, this <laughs> one friend discovered in um, just looking up. Um, John Grismer that he's 90, uh, which uh, my first response was, well, that, you know, but who knows how long ago he he wrote this. Uh, But I did notice somewhere uh, it says that he recently completed it. Uh, So I don't know when he started working on this show, but Mm. uh, but it was only recently completed. So maybe it's more impressive as the work of a octogenarian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, and he may very well. Uh, he talks about the fact that he's a big basketball fan, a big musical theater fan. Okay, um, it's very possible that he started out writing simply the story of James Naismith and found out that um, there wasn't enough there for a musical, and that's why he went into this uh, electron stuff. Um, I, people Maybe who've done, yeah. people who have done musicals about Jimmy Durante, Lonnie Price did one, and there was another one too. Um, said to me one of the reasons that um, there's a, a, a problem with writing a musical about Jimmy Durante is that he lived a pretty charmed life. There was a <laughs> little conflict in it, you know? And so um, that's why those two shows didn't um, go any further than they did. So anyway. Well, also, I wonder, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, sexual harassment is brought up and then uh, I, the word woke is even in this show, which mm. may be the first time I've heard that word in a play mm-hmm. or a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's quite possible. I would think that maybe um, that this author has added to it, mm-hmm. you know, as, as the years have, have gone on. And, uh, and, as, and as Sylvia Hersher said, um, everybody helps on musicals. So it's entirely possible that one of his friends said, Hey, why don't you put in blah, blah, blah. So um, that can happen too. You know, right. just because it's book music and lyrics spy doesn't mean he didn't get advice. And um, sure, sure. You know, so. sure. So the perfect game at theater four on the, at theater four on theater row, uh, it's only playing for another couple of days through January 27th. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, lots of news coming out this week. Uh, we uh, At the closing of Shucked, there was an announcement that there's going to be a feature film adaptation made of it. Yes. It doesn't seem like it's going to be just a shot of a, a straight out adaptation of the uh, stage show. It looks like it's going to be, you know, shot like a, a movie movie, a yeah. regular movie <laughs> movie. So uh, what do you guys think of that? I'm delighted. Um, even though, um, here we go again with rhymes, um, that there are problems with that. The fact is, Shuck um, means well. Shuck um, has a charm about it, a sweetness yes. about it. And um, that was enough to carry me with it. And I'm very sorry it didn't run longer. I expected it to and thought it should. Yeah, I think I liked it even more than Peter. Um, mm. I'm delighted it'll be a movie. And how how interesting that all of these musicals... Um, 
are happening as movies. Uh, have either of you seen Mean Girls yet? No. I have not. No. Yeah, I not almost yet. got to it this week, but I didn't. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I guess um, uh, it's it's a big hit. And Color Purple, if I understand correctly, started out really well mm-hmm. and then kind of tank- started to like drop. I don't know if that's partly because yeah. of this unfortunate controversy uh with one of the at least one of the cast members um but it's still uh heartening um and then you know we had wonka which is a kind of an original musical not a full musical and um what am i forgetting there's um I'm told that Barbie had a lot of songs in it. Um, well, oh, not yeah. a lot, yeah, but a yeah. few anyway. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, there was a, a a movie with music, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I didn't see it. Uh, Rob Johnson brings up Waitress. Waitress was yeah, in the theaters. That's right. Yeah. All right. Now that that was shot a shot on stage. Isn't example, it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, with yeah. with Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. yeah, I really love to see that. So. Um, it's, um, you know, uh, mm. I, I'm interested to see the timeline and what cast and how they adapt it and uh, what will happen with that. Uh, also, we had news this week that Harmony announced it's going to close in February. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm so sad about that. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, when I saw it down at, um, at the Jewish Museum, I thought this is a very good musical, but I'm not sure it's commercial. And uh, this turned out to be the case. And Apple TV canceled Schmigadoon. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. So the season three of Schmigadoon is is not to happen. Uh, but you can get the existing first and second seasons on Apple TV. Um, announcement that Great Gatsby is going to open on, open on Broadway mm, at the mm, Broadway Theater in April. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and At the Broadway Theater. Can you imagine yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you all have heard any of this, but uh, some friends of mine have been talking about, um, well, what I heard was that, that they were getting, tr- uh, they were having trouble getting the producers of Here Lies Love to pay to restore the theater yeah, to its former that. estate. Yeah. And and at that point I said, Oh, I said, but uh, don't we think that maybe one of the immersive shows mm. from London will come in like guys and dolls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and somebody said guys and dolls is not coming. Uh, but if Period. it is coming, but if it, but if it is coming, it's not obviously not coming to the Broadway. Uh, right. But, I mean, uh, according to this person, it's not. Yeah. Coming. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then of course, cabaret, we know is going elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So it does seem ironic that there were at least two shows, <laughs> two quote unquote immersive shows ready to go, um, and neither one of them took the Broadway, and instead they had to pay all that money to put it back uh, for The Great Gatsby. Yeah, I I didn't hear that there's a there was a financial problem trying to put that back. I would think that uh, that was built into the contract and money put in bond. Uh, to guarantee that before they even started tearing it down. That's oh yeah, well that may that part of it may be a rumor. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so that's uh, also this week. Uh, Charlotte Saint Martin, the uh, president of the Broadway League, is going to retire after 18 years. This was uh, news that sort of came out of nowhere. I I had heard no rumors about it, and. She's going to be retiring in February, right in the middle of the season. It 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 seems such an odd announcement. Uh, do you guys have anything to say about that? You know what the big surprise for me was? I didn't realize she'd been there eighteen years. It doesn't seem remotely that yeah. long to me that she's there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 that that was the big shock to me. <laughs> oh no, it kind of seemed like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, seems like we... <laughs> seems like thirty. Seems like seems, <laughs> seems like ninety, right? Yeah. Um, well, as as we discussed uh, before we started recording, uh, we certainly hope the abruptness uh, doesn't indicate anything bad. Uh, but yeah. she was quite controversial. That I've seen several several people mention uh, that she really, unfortunately, put her foot in her mouth when she, and I don't even remember how it came up. Oh, I suppose it was um, uh, in the pandemic period and and uh, emerging from the pandemic there were a lots and lots of incidences of uh understudies having to go on 
uh, you know, because COVID was still raging, you know, uh, uh, even if it was not as bad as it had been. And she said something uh, that was really interpreted as a very negative remark against understudies and, and covers and standbys. And that set people up in arms. And uh, I think she had to apologize for that. But then also, um, as I mentioned, uh, years ago, there was a huge purge uh, from the Tony Award voters list of many, many uh, journalists. Um, the list used to include a lot more journalists than it did now. And I and for some reason, she felt it necessary to say that uh, the reason that the journalists were taken off the list was due to conflict of interest. And I thought, well, if you're going to take people off for conflict of interest, shouldn't you take off the producers? You know, yeah. um, uh, so that seemed to me like the, the, the least conflict of interest was among the journalists. And I never actually got a chance to confront her directly about that statement, but now it's all, you know, I mean, that was years ago and it's yes, all water I, under the I, bridge. I, I will say this. Um, I knew an executive from one of the three theater chains, uh, Jamson Schubert, Niederlander. I'm not going to say which, mm -hmm. but he was very frank with me. He said, I just vote for our shows. Right. That's it. Yes. Of course. Yes. You mentioned that. So have I? Yeah. The essence yeah. of conflict of interest. <laughs> uh, Stereophonic announced that uh, coming to Broadway this spring. Uh, yes. Good. Inter interesting. Okay. You got one vote for it. Um, uh, Michael, did you see it off Broadway? I couldn't get in. I, I missed. In? Okay. I missed my invite, and then I asked, and they said, "Sorry, we have no more tickets." <laughs> I'm not surprised. I even tried to get in on. A, they were um, fully committed. They were fully committed. I even tried to get in on a, a on a like a lottery or something one night, and uh, or a standby line, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Uh, so I was really happy uh, from my from my point of view uh, to hear that it's going to come to Broadway because I've heard really great things. Last week we talked about uh, Broadway week is, uh, you know, it is multiple weeks, but the first Broadway week of this year is coming up. And then we had the announcement this week that uh, Kids Night on Broadway is going to return in February. So uh, if you have a kid, bring them to Broadway. They get in free. So Yes, uh, and this is a good time to uh, try to see Sweeney Todd if you would like to see it with the uh, people who are doing it now, including... Nicholas Christopher as Sweeney Todd, whom I hear is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, Jenna DeWall, mm -hmm. uh, whom we know from Diana the Musical, is is going on as Mrs. Lovett uh, in this interim period before uh, Aaron Tveit and Sutton Foster take over. So if you'd like to go because it's Sweeney Todd and because of the 26-piece orchestra and, you know, everyone else that's in it and and these very apparently very very talented uh people who are now in leads um this would be a great time to go for probably a fraction of what you would have had to pay uh to see Josh Groban and Annalee Ashford uh do you think they're going to have a a uh a sort of a big deal about uh Sutton taking over I do you do. think they're going to well, I think they will definitely do that. I wonder if um, I imagine they'll invite the major critics back, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Probably, yeah. At least, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, and also uh, just to formalize things that we've mentioned to passing this morning, prayer for the French Republic uh, got the final extension notice, and Patrick Page's "All the Devils Are Here" uh, extended as well. And we talked about that last week that we thought it would extend, and here it is. So, yeah, what a great show that how is! How wonderful! Yeah, really. Yeah. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before. Before we get on to our brain teasers and our musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to this broadcast by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways you can listen to us. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Broadway Radio is uh, one way that you can get us earlier than everybody else and support all of the Broadway Radio shows 
So go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us there. We can also be heard on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, Google Play, YouTube Music, anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcasts. You'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's brain teaser? Since so many listeners did so well with initials, let's do another brain teaser in which initials are involved. Stephen Sondheim, whose initials are SS, of course, worked with three, and only three, Broadway composers on musicals. One of those men, more than a decade after his one collaboration with Sondheim, wrote the melody for a character who, thanks to his lyricist, had hopes that one day she'd have the initials SS2. Who's the composer of the musical and the character? Well, I'm talking about Julie Stein, who on Gypsy um, worked with Sondheim, and then Stein worked with Bob Merrill on Sugar. It was the first Sound Like It Hot musical, in which the title character thinks she has a chance with whom she believes to be a shell oil heir, which <laughs> she assumes would make her sugar shell, and therefore would have the initials SS. So, Tony Janicki once again finished in first place, followed by Sean Logan. Arthur Robinson, Deb Popple, Mike Owanis, David Robinson, Brigadude, T.J. Lancaster, Jack Leshner, Alex Lauer, and Mike Meany. But wait, there's more. Paul Witte pointed out that Leonard Bernstein, with whom Sondheim worked on West Side Story, wrote 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, in which Alan J. Lerner had seen a, name beginning with an S, planning to marry Lud Simmons, which, in fact, she did. So that would make her SS. Now, you know, if we're going to nitpick, um, we can say that that's not really a correct answer because, well, Sondheim also worked with Bernstein on Candide, the revival in 74, in which he changed a few lyrics. Or did he? Did he just do it? I'm not even sure that they ever met um, in, in, to work together. I'm sure opening night they shook hands. But um, so... Uh, and the other thing, too, is um, I said she had hopes that one day she'd have the initials SS, and that sort of implies that that's not going to happen, and it did happen with Cena and Ludd. But still, Paul Witte came up with a very creative answer, and so we uh, certainly give him credit for that. So this week's question, what lyric from a title song in a Michael Bennett, Tony Losing musical, ceased to tell the truth? On a certain August 12th. Hmm. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. I also created brain teasers at broadwayradio.com. So you could try ah. either one. They're, they're fine. But brain teasers is harder to spell. People it is. Get it wrong. It is. <laughs> so yeah. Trivia at broadwayradio.com. <laughs> but if you're a completist, you can do brain teasers at broadwayradio.com. And... Either way, it'll get to Peter, and we'll let you know <laughs> if you're on the right track. <laughs> so, Michael, what do we have in this mm -hmm. week's musical moments? Well, one thing we hadn't mentioned uh, thus far is that Once Upon a Mattress opens at uh, City Center, uh, Jan and will run there January 24th through February 4th with Sutton Foster and Nikki Renee Daniels and Cheyenne Jackson and Michael Yuri and lots of other wonderful people. So our musical moments today are from that wonderful score, um, music by Mary Rogers, lyrics by Marshall Bearer. Uh, our opener is an excerpt um, from a rehearsal, an orchestra rehearsal for this Encores production. Uh, that was posted online, uh, and it's the overture, I think, or it could be the on track, not sure. Um, uh, and the closer is the finale from the original Broadway cast recording uh, of the production, which, of course, starred Carol Burnett and Jack Guilford and Joe Bova, et cetera, et cetera. I, um, I really love Once Upon a Mattress. I do too. And I was so sad when the Broadway revival was such a flop. Yeah. I think really because of a combination of misdirection and miscasting. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to this production because while I am not uh, 
I have not always been the biggest fan of Sutton Foster uh, because I frequently think she has been she has been miscast, and also some of the uh, shows she did just to me did not pass muster. For example, Little Women, uh, just mention only one. Uh, but despite that, I do think she is very talented when she is well cast. And uh, one example of that that I always mention is, of all things, uh, anyone can whistle. I thought she was terrific in that mm-hmm. uh, and in quite a difficult role, but it fit her perfectly. And I can see her being excellent as Winifred in Once Upon a Mattress because I do think uh, she has been very, very funny and a wonderful comedian in, in several shows. Uh, and of course, um, I, I think we would all agree that her voice is well suited to the role as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, I hope that it uh, it's, it's as good as I'm hoping it'll be. <laughs> All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We think we understand. We think we think we know. It's very you